All right, so I want to say hello to everybody. Welcome to the hot seat today, and this is uh, early December of 2021. And so um, my name is Pastor Jason. I am the directing pastor here at Crossroads, and we have... I am Tim Lee, the Contemporary Worship Arts Director. And... Leslie Anderson, Director of Connections. And this is... Brian Guru. Yay! So when we first decided to have the podcast and interview people about their story, uh, Brian was one of the first people that we talked about. We want to get him on here. And then we talked to you early and you said, well, you're writing this book and you want to, you need to focus on that. And then once it's out, it would be a good opportunity to, to then talk to us about it. So Brian is a, a friend of mine since we arrived. We arrived six and a half years ago. He's been a longtime Christian, longtime leader in the greater Peoria area, um, a longtime Christian. And um, he is, was married, is married to uh, our, our dear friend, Pat Guru, who was on staff here, passed away, like, what was it, 20? March, last year. March of last year. Yep. I was trying to think how many months that was, yeah. It's I can, still... I can tell you days, but that's okay. It's still very hard. It's still, like, just so surreal. I just still can't wrap my head around her being gone. Mm-hmm. Well, that would make two of us. Oh, my gosh. She was just such a big part of our staff family she did she was did visitation here she was on our care team she was a licensed pastor and so we're going to get to your story about i just want to hear about you and your life and your faith but there's a book that i want everyone to know has just been finished and is available and um, i'm going to hold it up right here so people can see it this is brian's book called keeping a firm grip a perspective during challenging times, and this is Pat's story. So, tell us about this book. Well, if you remember, we had a wonderful celebration here about two weeks before COVID restrictions went full steam. Yep, just before, just before, and so sitting at home, um, needed to find some way to uh, start the healing process. And so I started going through some of Pat's things and found some wonderful, wonderful notes, some text messages, some journal entries. And so ultimately, uh, she helped me write the book. So I basically wrote it for, th- for three reasons. One was her legacy. Um, she didn't write her story in a book, but she wrote it in life. So I tried to capture that. The second thing was all the traditional healing that takes place wasn't available because we were all restricted. And then the third was as we started the journey with Pat's specific cancer, which is pancreatic cancer, became, I would say probably the best term is very frustrated Mm. because of general lack of awareness, Uh, the fact that there is no testing that can be done before it's in late stages, uh, very limited treatments, very limited funding, and yet it has the second highest mortality rate. Uh, five-year mortality rate is 10%. And the second thing is that uh, they're anticipating over the next several years it'll be number two for cancer deaths after lung. Uh, yeah. So those were just amazing to discover when you think about, I mean, you think about this area and you think about some of the amazing things that happen for like breast cancer. You think of the great stuff that's done for St. Jude's and children's cancer. So uh, pancreatic cancer needs to increase its awareness, also get its funding. And so one of the things is that 70% of all the proceeds from the book will go to the pancreatic society for research and awareness. Yeah. I remember driving in Peoria, talking to her right after the discovery. I remember where I was. I remember driving and her explaining. It was very far along by the time that she discovered it. Yeah, that's one of, it's actually called the silent killer because it's too often diagnosed as either acid reflux and or all the signs of gallbladder issues. 
So the bottom line is that it goes a long time, and usually it's gotten stage three or stage four, uh, which is way too late. But unlike some of the other cancers that we're aware of, you can't go take a blood test and see if you have it. Mm. So that's one of the things that they're working on right now are some tests to catch it really early on. Uh, They've got a ways to go, but they're making some progress. So if someone um, were to pick up this book and say, oh, that's interesting, I want to read it, where would the story start? Kind of explain what they would discover is it the start and, and where this story ends? Uh, well, it starts with a very simple statement, which is that's not the way we planned it, mm-hmm. uh, which pretty much spells out life for us. This wasn't what we had planned. And then when we started reflecting on it, everybody, especially during the COVID, was going through so much loss whether it was loss of freedom or health or jobs, et cetera. And so many of the messages in there, while the story is about cancer and Pat's struggle with that and journey, uh, a lot of it is about perspective. It's about priorities. It's about choices. uh, And we all have to make those in life. And because I love to share, teach, et cetera, there's about 50 questions in the back of the book. So individually you can do it or it's also set up so you can do it in small groups. And so, yeah, one of the things that I was noticing and I thought was very helpful was you seem to have a pretty good grasp of scripture that helped frame your perspective. I guess, was that a big part of your marriage uh, the whole time you and Pat were together? Oh, she was much better at it than I was. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's amazing when you have resources at your fingertips that you can uh, you can find exactly the verse that you're looking for. So yeah, uh, no, I would. She was definitely much better at scripture than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as I read this book, because you let me read an early draft, um, it, it was for me. It was fairly emotional because I was reliving it because she had been a staff member and a dear friend. And so I remember all these things as they happened. And so it was really emotional to me. And I realized too that I, um, because I was so close to her and you and everything going on, that uh, most people would read it differently than I did because they they wouldn't have had the same vantage point from the pastor, staff, friend perspective. So when you wrote the book and as you released it, um, who are the different audiences that you envision would pick this up and God might uh, want to touch the most through it? What are the different types of people that you, you envision reading this? I think anybody who either has gone through or is about to go through or is anticipating a loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about it, we lose jobs, we lose relationships, mm-hmm. we lose our health. Uh, there's divorce. Uh, unfortunately, there's miscarriages. Uh, there's loss of health, death. Uh, I, I prefer to think of it as rebirth rather than death. But um, so I think that I think anybody, I'm sure it will probably get pigeonholed with um, cancer. And I'm really excited that it that it'll get pigeonholed in Christian. Yeah. Um, but I would say those two those two areas. I think. Um, well, and that's just, pretty much, that's pretty much everybody. Because there's nobody that goes through life without loss. Yeah. I mean. Exactly. Although uh, one of the discussions I had with the editor was the cover. Mm. And uh, they said, well, you know, if you put the cover, that picture on the cover, some people won't pick it up. Mm -hmm. I said, well, that's their choice. They said that cover has a very strong meaning in the book. And that's actually a watercolor of uh, an actual picture I took of Pat holding her cross in hospice. So um, I agree with you, Tim. It's everybody, but we all haven't made that conclusion yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, so something about this book and about your journey is, you know, incredibly, and that's one thing I, I saw even more vividly displayed in the last couple months incredibly deep-rooted faith that you know you have but pat had incredibly deep-rooted 
And so one of the things about this story is um, if you were reading it for the first time, you might think, oh, there's going to be a miraculous recovery. A happy ending. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, in the end, it's uh, she goes to be with the Lord, right? Which is a happy ending. Right. But one of the things that's communicated in the book is there is a depth of faith that can make even that ending a happy ending, which a lot of people even who who are Christian, you know, they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Where they can walk through with that deeper roots, and in their grief, they can see the miracles. Because I even heard you say, as we, we were praying for a miracle. I mean, many times we laid hands on her and prayed for a miracle of healing. But you said, you, uh, I heard you, your family say, we, we've seen many miracles as we've been praying. Absolutely. We call them Godwinks. Yeah. We call them Godwinks. So, so after she was diagnosed, you had about, was it a year? A little over a year? The whole journey from initial until her going to heaven was 17 months. 17 months. Um, which is not a long time, but it's four times the average life expectancy when you're at stage four pancreatic cancer. So what were some of the um, miracles or I guess, incredible gifts of God that you received during that year that you've named to me on different occasions. Uh, well, I think the first one was uh, uh, certain individuals. Uh, there's a position that we were not aware of uh, called the nurse navigator. Uh, OSF has those. And we and uh, we had an amazing one. Amanda was just, she knew the ins and outs. She knew all the technical. She was bound and determined she was going to get the schedule to fit. Even when doctors said no, she figured out how to do it. Um, and she had tremendous compassion. So, you know, there were those people, and I mentioned six doctors uh, throughout the three different hospitals that we were at, uh, just some amazing. But I think probably the two that jump out the most was – we did a new experimental, it's not experimental, it's FDA approved, but it's called a nano knife surgery, which OSF is just starting to have now up in Chicago. And in, because of where the tumor is on the pancreas, it's right by all the major blood vessels. So cutting it, not good. Most surgeons don't want to even touch it. So this nano knife surgery, uh, they actually put four um, electrodes and they actually pass an electric current and, quote, put the cells into a dormant state. Hmm. Uh, they don't remove it. It goes into a dormant state. Well, we would have never known about that unless a Facebook posting uh, that Pat put her initial diagnosis. And one of the, uh, one of the uh, individuals from a church that she served years earlier said, I think you need to contact such and such. And so we did. And lo and behold, one of the experts and early pioneers was in Chicago. Mm. So that was definitely a God wink. Um, he did a wonderful job. And then I think probably another one was, um, when we came back from Chicago to hospice, uh, Pat was having lots of complications and, uh, I remember vividly the uh, director saying after she examined Pat, it's a matter of days, not week. And uh, so Pat and God decided 41 days was the right number. Mm. So, uh, and it was a living visitation. We, we, not to count things, just to count things, but we were just amazed. So we started just doing a little tally of all the different people that showed up. Um, and it was a life visitation. She, she saw over 150 people while she was in hospice. They had, they literally (laughs) put a note on the door and said, do not come in unless you go to the nurse's station because there was so much traffic. But, uh, yeah, I had to wait in the hall because there was like a, a line of people, you know, people just kept coming to see her. It was yeah. awesome. And the conversations were two way. I mean, they were coming to express their love, but it was mutual for sure. Yeah. It was mutual for sure. And then just the timing of when she went to heaven. Yeah. If we would have waited a couple extra days, the 350 people that celebrated wouldn't have happened. You know, that's, that's something I've thought about so many times, even if it had, 
been a month later, uh, she, we couldn't have spent that time with her in the hosp- in the hospice home. Nope. Nor could we have had the celebration. Yeah, no. and that was one of the. I felt I felt like the Holy Spirit moving in that service, like I've never felt in a in a in a celebration of life before. Not that they all aren't awesome in their own unique way to remember and celebrate people, but I mean, I could feel in my body the Holy Spirit. You know, that day it was just powerful, powerful, powerful. Well, and Tim, I mean, Tim. Tim's amazing, and and the musicians are, but I just gave him a list of songs, and he was like, okay, we got it, no problem. <laughs> and I know they, they did a lot of extra uh, TLC. In fact, your bride sang the song that we sang at our at our wedding also yep. in this very room. In this very room, yeah. So um, this book, is there, what is the best way a person can get this book? The easiest way is to go to Amazon. Okay. Uh, just put keeping a firm grip in my name and it'll pull up with all my other books, but, uh, you can get that, uh, if you want to just do it electronically, you can also get it electronically. Okay. Uh, and all that's through Amazon. All through Amazon. Are all of your nice. other books on Amazon too? Can they get linked to any of your books through Amazon? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to talk about, um, with one exception, yeah. uh, there is another Brian Garou. He's a professor, uh. Uh, um, some of the books that he's written, there's no way I could write those. <laughs> he's you very, know, he's very smart. The titles are scary. So. You know, I, I googled my name today, and I found that there is. It says something like Jason Wolver's net worth. I'm like, well, let's see what that yeah. is. You know, I'm like, I guess there's some professional musician somewhere named Jason Wolver, and he has a much higher net worth than me. So anyway, I thought, oh, people are going to see that and think I'm secretly rich. Anyway, if you see that, that's not me. But yeah, so there is another Brian Guru. <laughs> And I'm not a DJ at some dance club somewhere. Oh. So anyway. Yeah, I used to have um, timothyclee.com was, you know, I had got the domain and I just always thought, you know, if anybody ever wanted to find me, they could go there. Well, somehow I let it lapse. And so now there's an insurance salesman in Texas <laughs> named Timothy C. Lee. Oh if gosh. you want to buy life insurance or anything, you can uh, go there. and. <laughs> yeah. I guess I need to Google my name. Yeah, you really should. Yeah, I'll do that. Later. Really should. It's dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. <laughs> so, so I want to shift now to talking about because um, you have been writing books for a long time, and you brought Tim. Tim has a number of grandchildren, and you brought him a yes. collection of your a children's <laughs> books. And so, how did you get started writing and writing business books? You because you have a consulting that you do. And children's books? How did this... You've, you've had a very busy, full life. So where did the writing emerge from? Well, the initial writing uh, was actually a request from a consultant to co-write one. Ah. Uh, he and I have been great friends now for 20-some years, and he'd written a number of books, and he called up one day and said, I'd really like to write a book with you. And I said okay, why? And he goes, because um, you're always talking about this religion thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so I said, well, first point, uh, I'm sorry you think it's religion, but hopefully over time you'll start thinking of it as faith. Yeah. Uh, so now when Al and I talk, he's always talking about faith. He doesn't talk oh, about that's religion. Cool. That's cool. So he and I wrote, co-wrote uh, Slice of Life. Yeah. Um, and then Pat, suggested well why don't you do a bible study on it so i love doing writing bible studies so i did that <clears throat> and then i made a very silly uh papa or grandfather public statement in front of my family <laughs> when i had a single grandchild and i said you know it would be really fun to write a book for each of the grandkids <laughs> okay at the time there was one high chair sitting there <laughs> and uh i said it'd be a great legacy and you know i'll leave some life lessons hopefully that they can apply later on too i didn't know we were gonna have seven <laughs> <laughs> and i didn't know that two of them were gonna come a week apart oh <laughs> man so it's been fun uh, they can relate to the storyline because you know, in the first book, for example, Evan and I used to always go out and feed the birds and talk about the birds and stuff. And so, but there's lessons that apply to, to life. Um, 
And then another connection back at church is the last two, and hopefully the rest of them, uh, I'm blessed to have Mary Penn do the illustrations. Oh, yeah. And she has such a gift. I mean, she can take a rock and make it friendly and happy. Yeah. So she did the giraffe and the turtle one. That's great. And did she write? She did something when Pat passed away. Yes, she actually uh, wrote a book and gave it to us, dedicated on uh, going to heaven. So beautiful book, beautiful book. Well, well, I have to tell you, so my grandfather wrote books for each of of us kids. So my sister and my brother still have it, very treasured item. But, um, you know, when when you're young, you think, that's just easy to do, right? And as you get older, you think, you know, and he, illust- he well, he illustrated it. Never everything. thought that. No, and, and so, so you know, it's like almost like every you know, I pull it out maybe like once a year and I look at it, you know, and it's one of those things where you go like each year, it's like wow, that that took a lot of time and energy. I mean, it wasn't just like something that just came out of thin air, you know. And then you think that they spent, you know, all the time it took to write it, they're thinking about you. You know, so oh, well, I can say that, that these yeah. books, you know, as they get older, they're going to be thinking of how even more special, special they are. Yeah. I learned a very special uh, saying when you, it's much better to say, it's much better to say, I have written a book than I am writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, like this time, <clears throat> the editor, I had a wonderful editor, <laughs> but we had a disagreement as to how many different versions of Pat's story were you wrote. <laughs> Oh. No, I was close to 10, and she had a, a lower number, so I took my number anyways. But, uh, yeah, it, rewriting stuff and making sure it's clear and and uh, takes a while, but it's uh, – I love it. I really do. You do so, enjoy it. I do very much. It's a hobby. Yeah. It's a hobby. I haven't picked up my clubs, golf clubs, in a couple of years, but I've written some books. So. Wow. Wow. Well, there's four books here. Is there three more? In the There's two ideas floating in my head <clears throat> right now. Uh, that's those will be for the three-year-olds that were born a week apart. Right. Um, and then we were blessed six months ago to have our seventh grandchild, fifth grandson. So I've got to spend some time with him before I can decide what the story is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if we're finished. So. <laughs> <We'll see. laughs> I remember I was thinking about this in your children's books. Uh, I think it was this morning as I was getting ready to come into work. And I was remembering the time that in the last year when when our kids came over to hang out with you and Pat. And I, it was really great to see. I see Brian, and we all love Brian. We all know he's got a huge heart, right? We all very much just love Brian. We love his hugs. But I saw when my kids were there kids swarm around you like i you were telling them stories or something and like i'm like come on we gotta go we gotta go but you were like so have you always had this kind of pied piper thing with kids children is that just part of who you are yeah i'm a big teddy bear (laughs) big teddy bear so uh, i i mean children are such a gift yeah Uh, their innocence is amazing and some of the things they do, you're just like, I mean, Tim, you know, yep. <laughs> you're like, yep. where did that come from? Yeah. And their honesty. I oh. mean, they're, oh, they're yeah. very, very honest yeah. how yeah. they feel. Yeah. Sometimes too honest. <laughs> <laughs> too honest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, no, but, uh, they're a blessing. And, uh, you know, when I, th- when I think back on, uh, some of the major things in my walk, um, Teens were very, very important. Mm. We did a lot of uh, weekend retreats with them. Huh? Really? Yeah. Well, that's neat. So let's let's hear a little bit about. I know that um, you kind of c- came along with Pat. You know, as far as like Pat was here all the time throughout the Absolutely, week. Absolutely. And so there is, but there's also a Brian, right? And so, um, and I've gotten bits and pieces of your story. So tell us where you grew up, and and then. Um, like where you lived before you ended up at Crossroads. How so? Birth to how you ended up at Crossroads. Just give us an overview. Okay. Before I, before I forget, I was always introduced as Pat's Pastor Pat's husband. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would tell him my name, but uh, that was okay. And I mentioned to you the other day, 
during uh, pastor appreciation. Yeah. You go to the Hallmark store and you're looking and it's like for a pastor and his wife, for a pastor and his wife. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a couple of us out there. <laughs> yeah. His wives were pastors. So, yeah. So I, I got to see it from that side. So my story, real simple in the, you know, 60 years, not from the Midwest, grew up in the Adirondack Mountains. Um, the test to see if anybody knows where those are is when they say upstate New York, because the people who don't know where it really is will say, well, it's Syracuse and Albany. Well, there's still a couple hundred miles north yeah. of there. So seven miles from the Canadian border, um, second, third generation from uh, Canada. Uh, my great-great-grandfather got his apprenticeship as a tailor in Montreal, but there were too many tailors in Montreal, so he went seven miles across the border to the North America and opened a tailor shop. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so uh, spent the first 20-plus years there. Uh, grew up in a very uh, unique situation uh, in a farmhouse that was 100 years old, but... Later in life, there was another house that was built right onto it. So I would open a door and be in my grandparents' house, my mom and my mom's mom and dad, and then I'd close the door and be in my house. So, wow, that's kind of neat. <clears throat> yeah, it was done after my dad came back from the Korean War. Hmm. So um, went to school out east, and then uh, through connections. I did an internship in Washington, D.C. at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and through some connections, uh, got an interview with Caterpillar and so spent 31 years at Caterpillar and uh, did things, went places, uh, met people that a small town boy of 400 people never thought was possible. So had a, had a really fun time and mostly because of the people, the people it was a lot of hard work, but it was the people that made it happen. So uh, I actually met Pat because I needed a good haircut. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was the company spokesman at the time, dealing with all the media and contract negotiations and stuff. And I had two adoptive moms at work because they knew I lived a thousand mile. My parents were a thousand miles away. And they said, you need a new haircut. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I don't know where to go. And they said, we got somebody for you. So um, I went to this upscale salon. Um, I was probably, I, no, I wasn't probably. I was the only person there in bib overhauls, a flannel shirt, and a ball cap. <laughs> and uh, met Pat. Did a great job cutting my hair. Um we weren't even friends. She was just did a nice haircut, and we uh, she cut my hair for about a year. And then one night, on a Friday night, we were at a happy hour, and one of my adopted moms showed up with Pat. I said, well, "Hi, how are you?" She said, "Fine." And that's when I discovered that she was uh, getting a divorce from her first husband, which was my blessing. So I got a four-year-old. And a wonderful wife at the same time. So we moved, Cat uh, moved us to Minnesota for a few years, then to Pennsylvania for a few years, and then back here. Uh, and my office for the last 10 or 12 years was in Peoria, but I was on the road a lot. So blessed, three kids, two girls and a boy, seven grandkids, and we have a family meal every week together. And they have all migrated within... Five minutes of our house. That's just so, so awesome. Yeah. So uh, when I don't see him for a week, you know, all week, it's like, oh my goodness. And then I think about all the grandparents who don't see their grandkids hardly at all. So yeah. yeah. So I, I remember you talking about the Adirondacks, and I have this picture in my head. What was it? You used to collect baseball cards, right? Still do. And you, you would. I remember. I have this picture in my head of you being a little boy. And you said you would listen to the games on the radio mm -hmm. in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just this picture in my head of little Brian with yeah. his baseball cards laid out, listening to the baseball games on the radio. And fortunately, my mom and dad, when they were cleaning out part of the 
farmhouse on my grandparents' side found all of my baseball cards, mm-hmm. football cards, hockey cards. So there's 11,000 sports cards, wow. and they're all 50-plus years old. So Wow. It's like going back in time. <laughs> so then um, – um, so would you go to like the, the card conventions and things like that? No. I know. No. I, I went directly to the manufacturer. Because <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my dad used to collect cards and um, we would go on the weekend to like a card collection, you know, and he'd have his whatever year, you know, his set that he needed like three cards. And then he'd, he'd look for those, you know, those three. And it was always interesting. If you, if you met any of the, the kids that I grew up with and we were usually either on the ball field, the basketball court, or in the road playing you know, street <laughs> hockey or something, they would tell you that I had a little red wagon. I would go to all the neighbors, and I had three generations of family within four blocks of me in this little town. Oh, my gosh. I'd pick up all the pop bottles, <laughs> take them to Boyer's, which was the grocery store, <laughs> cash them in, get the cards, Wow. I'd have a stack of gum like this. Yeah, yeah. And over the years, I can prove through all the cavities I got in my molars. <laughs> I chewed them. So, um, yeah, that didn't go to the card collectors. Yeah. <laughs> There's something special about the the little sticks of gum they put in those <laughs> card things. Amazing. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, it's that thin piece of gum. Yeah. yeah. So I'll tell a really naive story. So, you know, probably five or six. And every night my mom would say, Make sure you take the gum out of your mouth before you go to bed. <laughs> and I'm like, why? Because it'll get in your hair. And I'm thinking, hmm, how does my digestive system <laughs> get it in my hair? So, you know, hopefully I've gotten a little smarter over time. <laughs> so now, you, do you have one sister? Is that right? I have one sister who's uh, 12 and a half years younger. Okay. So... The easiest way to describe it is I graduated from high school and she graduated from kindergarten the same okay. year. Okay. She lives eight miles from uh, where my mom and dad and where we grew up. So then did you study engineering in college or what did you study? No. I uh, <laughs> I was going to be an attorney. Okay. And then I went to see a movie <laughs> and I changed my major. <laughs> <laughs> so the movie was with Al Pacino called Injustice for All. Really? And uh, I walked out of that, and I said, changing my major. So my major was <laughs> uh, political science and public administration. Really? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, when you met Pat, you were already a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. So talk about your Christian upbringing, because this is a Christian book, very clearly a Christian book, like we talked about already. So then how did you become who you are spiritually. What Trace that back to your earliest spiritual encounters. Okay, so little town of 400 people in the Adirondacks, four churches. Um, and it was a different time. But a time I would, you know, I wish we could kind of go back to, like on Good Friday from 12 to 3, all the stores were closed. Hmm. Um, and every Tuesday morning, all the buses would take kids to the four churches and they'd have release time for an hour and a half total from transportation. Hmm. Um, And it was just, the church was a major part of life. Now I need to just go back a step. So my parents have told this story a million times, but they're in heaven with Pat. So I'll tell it on them. There was a tradition back in the fifties when they got married that if either one of the individuals was Catholic, then the other would convert and 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 follow that religion. Uh, my mom was a diehard Methodist, ah. <laughs> and she told my dad, "If you want to marry me, we're going to have a priest and a minister." Oh wow! And so they got married at Saint John Bosco uh, with a priest and a minister, and so for the first. I don't know, probably the first 10 or 11 years, um, I would go to mass with my dad twice a month because he worked shift work. And so the two Sundays that he was home, I'd go to mass with him, and it was in Latin, and I would ask, I don't understand, and he said, it's okay. Uh, And then the other two, I'd go with my mom. And so, you know, 
if you're following tradition and religion, hopefully nothing happened to me because I wasn't baptized or anything else. I was just going wherever yeah. my parents were going. So, uh, and then they let me make my decision, and so I made my decision based upon uh, the pastor, and uh, was baptized in the Methodist Church before it became United Methodist. The one that spoke English in the service. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, For sure. Yeah. Um, but church was a, I mean, the church was a very important part. The school and church were very important. So, I mean, there was always chicken barbecues and pancake suppers. And at least once a week, there was something going on. And my mom taught um, kindergarten Sunday school for over 50 years. Wow. Oh, wow. So uh, it was just a natural. Um, and some things don't change either. I was reflecting on a couple of the questions you asked, and I thought it was interesting, and you, you can relate to this. Um, the pastors at our church, it was a three-point charge. So they had to preach three times on Sunday morning. And the difference between the church west and the church east and the church in the middle was seven miles. <laughs> oh my gosh, right. And uh, so in the summertime to relieve some of the uh, work, we'd meet one month at one church, then one month at another, and the attendance would just drop like crazy. So people would only <laughs> go to their church. So uh, so we are creatures of habit, for sure. Sure. So uh, I would say probably one of the... <laughs> One of the turning points for me was when the first female pastor mm. was assigned to our church, Reverend Beecher's Clark. This was still in the Adirondacks. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, what year would that have been? It was in the sixties, late sixties, early seventies. That would have been pretty early on yeah. in in the women clergy. Yeah, she was amazing, and I'll tell you a quick story about you know, community and everything. So, uh, Tim, you might appreciate this. So the number one fear of people is speaking in public. And so I'm in fifth grade and I have to do an oral presentation on the sound of music with the other 20 kids in the class. Same story. And I I was a good student and I knew the content really well. I stood up in front to deliver it, and I just lost it. I literally broke down and cried. (laughs) Um, Fifth grade? Fifth grade, yep. And none of my classmates ever, they have as adults, come back and said, you know, it's funny, we never picked on you about that or anything. But long story short, uh, that was like in the middle of the week. Well, Friday, I get my mom gets a call from Reverend Clark, and she said, can I speak to Brian? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the, as the story goes, she had gone to the doctors and she had a little tickle in her throat. And so the doctor decided that it was important that she not do the whole service, including the the uh, prayers and the responsive readings, et cetera. And would I mind doing that for her? Can't tell Reverend Clark no. <laughs> so... A few years later, I found out that my teacher had called her and told her about wow. breaking down in front of the sound of music. Oh. Wow. And uh, so this tickle lasted for about four or five months. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, that is so cool. That's yeah. such a great story. And uh, I, tell kid, I tell kids that all the time because who would have thunk? Because I ended up being a corporate spokesman for a Fortune 50 company. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, but uh, Reverend Clark was pretty amazing. And uh, um, at a young age, she very much uh, changed my perspective. Mm. Changed my perspective. What did you experience from her that felt new in the past? Because, I mean, I've, I've had that before. Certain pastors I encountered, like they, like, oh, that's new. Like there's something I'm getting from you or picking up from you that I didn't pick up from other ones. And everyone has their own gift, but what was it that was significant about her? I think it, uh, she was a great storyteller. Her sermons were terrific. Um, that a fifth grader could understand and take away. But I think also it was just my age where I got to the point where I was starting to see the difference between religion and faith. And then she reinforced that through her behaviors. So it was pretty amazing. Awesome. Pretty amazing. So, did uh, you stay plugged in through high school? 
<laughs> That's another part of the story. Yeah. So she got transferred several years later. And uh, I was debating my senior year what I, where I was going to go to college and what I was going to study. And, and I had uh, considered going into the ministry, the formal ministry. And for literally three days, I just kind of struggled, stayed up in my room. And finally, my mom said, why don't you call Reverend Clark? Now, she was uh, about 100 miles away. We hadn't talked for several years. And so my mom got the phone number. I called her, and she picked up the phone, and she said, Hi, Brian, how are you? I was just about to call you. You have a really important question to answer, don't you? Uh, wow. that would that would be a huge god wink so we had a great conversation and decided the i think the something around the exact words were you know there's a lot of places where people who wear collars can't get in and preach but you can if you want to go into the business world so if you go into the business world that's fine too Wow. And so that's what I did. So you felt really a call from God to carry the gospel to the business world. Um, I've never thought about it that before, but I think without a doubt, people didn't guess <laughs> what I believed. That's so cool. So Reverend Clark was very important. And I'm looking forward to seeing her again because unfortunately she was in a car wreck and um, it was a fatal one. She actually the car burned. So oh, I'm looking wow. forward to seeing her in heaven and thanking her in person. Mm. So then, um, you, where did you go to college in the East? I went to college in Oneonta, New York, oh. all the Indian names down there, but, uh, it's probably 20 minutes from the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so, which was a, which was another first because I was the first ever to get to go to college. My parents, sacrificed like crazy but i got to go to college um i didn't go to the state schools that were 20 or 30 minutes away for fear my mom would pop in <laughs> so <laughs> five hours was just the right <laughs> amount of time uh and then uh you know i was the first to move out of the area so how was your faith lived out in college was it a, a lot of people i would i would say that uh it probably went uh, and got parked for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so. So then, was it? Did Pat kind of bring you? How old were you when you met Pat? Mm, probably twenty-seven, twenty-eight. So did she kind of bring you back to the church, or did you kind of come back? You know, after. No, college? I was actually going to Forest Hill United Methodist Church. Okay. Um. And several people, you know, came up immediately and kind of embraced me and adopted me. And so, no, we, I was going there. In Peoria? In Peoria. Oh, that's where my grandparents went. Yeah, the beautiful, the little stained glass mm -hmm. windows. And yeah. so that's where we were married. Yeah. That's awesome. where we were married. So, um, but then again, I think, uh, you know, Pat was a major, major, major uh, influencer in my life. And, uh, the book talks a little bit about that, but um, we got heavily involved in a number of weekend retreats. So we did Crescio, we did Walk to Emmaus, um, and then we did a whole bunch of uh, Wesley weekends. Okay. And Wesley weekends were very much like uh, Crescio and Walk to Emmaus, except they were done in the local church to support the local pastor who wanted to jumpstart an initiative. Uh, and there were men's weekends, women's weekends, and then the teens were combined. Um, I probably did 15 or 20 of those. Where was that at? Where was what at? Where did you do those? We did them in the local church that was sponsoring the event. Like in Peoria? Uh, Peoria, Princeville, Mossville, all over. So, so that must have been... When what when years would that have been? Nineties, mm -hmm. okay. Because that's never been a part of my experience. I've heard about them, but I've that's really cool. Yeah, those must have kind of phased out. Because by when I came back in two thousand two, I wasn't hearing about those, but people were still going on walk to Emmaus. Yeah, it was it was great 
because the local pastor basically committed to follow through yeah. with the congregation. And while people were from a lot of different churches and denominations, um, the core group was from that local church yeah. that participated. So it was good. And uh, so I love the teen weekends. There's there's something about, you know, a candlelight service where there's a picture of Christ on the altar and you're playing James Taylor, you got a friend. Uh, there's That's not a, cool. There's not a dry eye in the circle, yeah. believe yeah. me. But, uh, yeah, we we uh, had a lot of fun for for a number of years. So uh, there, I think those were very, very important. So then how long were you married? Because then you said, I remember Pat had like a, a latent call that you kind of encouraged her to step back into. Right. Uh, we were married 35 years. Uh, Pat would describe her life as in four stages. So uh, stage four was gr- being a grandma or a nana. Stage three was the formal ministry. But as you know, um, when she re- formally retired, the next day she was just volunteering, doing <laughs> yeah. the same stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, I always would describe, I saw pastors as, or I saw leaders as two things, either ministers or pastors. Very seldom were, was an individual both. And so, you know, the minister... Very educated, loves to run the organization, the administrative, the, the, the finances, loves all that stuff. And then the pastor's kind of the extra special caregiver. Um, Pat was exceptional at caregiving. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things she always talked about, which was hard for her at the end of her life here on earth, was simply the fact that, she had always been on the caregiving side Mm -hmm. and receiving was hard for her, Mm. but she would always describe going into a situation. I'm sure you've been there too, where, um, you'd walk in and very quickly you could tell whether the individuals had faith or not, because Mm. if they had faith, they were looking out what was best for the individual who was ill and about to pass. And the people who were struggling were always, well, I'm not ready. And uh, Pat was ready. Mm. Um, she just, you know, her, her her comment in the that I put in the book was her goal was to watch the grandkids get married. Mm. She said she'd just have to do it from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, the, you know, the great thing about Pat, you know, when we'd have staff meetings, it was always you know, we, you know, we a typical staff meeting is where you go around the room and you share what's going on with the ministry. And Pat would always just give encouragement to everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, she was on the care team, you know, and, and, you know, she'd talk a little bit about that, but then it would be like, you know, Kristen, you know, I saw something with the youth, you know, it was just so great, you know, and Tim, the music in the weekend and, and Jason, the sermon, you know, and it was just, it was like, she would just lift everybody up so that when we didn't have a staff meeting for two weeks, that we had that encouragement to kind of get us through to the next, to the next meeting. And that yeah. was always great. And Pat's personality is so much like my sister. Like there was just so every time I would, you know, Pat would, I'd have a conversation with her. I just think of my sister Mm. because my sister was just like that. I mean, like she's always like encouraging, but like um, also very, um, I don't want to say authoritative, but like she always spoke very confident, you know, and that's what always remind me of my, my sister. So that's. She's, yeah. smi- she's smiling right now hearing yeah. that. So. I'm thinking of three words for both of you as a couple. A warmth, great warmth, generous, very generous spirit, and hospitality. She Even in her, I think, uh, even in her room, even even on her deathbed, right, just so hospitable, just so good at making people feel comfortable and welcoming people around her. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a privilege to sit and hear the conversations. I mean, yeah. you and she had several oh. amazing conversations. So great. Um, no. So I won't give I won't give that away. They'll have to buy the book. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> it was so great. Yeah, but, and, and a and a great sense of humor. 
I mean, Very hilarious. She if Pat was in the laughing. room, you're always laughing. I mean, it was like, you know, oh, yeah. That, yeah. she put up with me. So she has, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, I know we're getting close to it time we like to end by so any spiritual life lessons you want to share oh that was the last thing yeah. <laughs> okay well i did write a couple of down and uh there's not three like sermons <laughs> there's a couple more than three so i i think the first one was just to uh make sure people uh, learn and understand there's a huge difference between religion religion and faith mm. um Religion is man-made, and oh my goodness, the conversations in at my house, at least, when Pat would go to a new church and quickly find out, well, that's not the way that we do communion. <laughs> you know, we have to break the bread, or we have to kneel, or we can't do intinction, et cetera, and sometimes we forget about what we're what it's all about, <laughs> uh, which is the faith side. So there's a huge difference, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I think religion is right now creating division and I think faith would perhaps help with inclusion. Mm. So that would be one. Uh, another one that I have lived out is I'm glad that Peter's in the, in scripture because he was written specifically to <laughs> remind me of the, how I am up and down, but I'm reminded a lot of, uh, Geigo. Have you heard that acronym of Geigo? Mm. It's G I G O. Um, you know, I'm old enough now to remember when there weren't computers, there were just dumb terminals. <laughs> but when the first computers came in, there was a standard line that said, you know, if you put garbage in, you get garbage out. Oh, sure. And I think that from from a perspective and a face standpoint, if you do put garbage in, you're going to get garbage out. So if you don't worship, if you don't read scripture, if you don't do devotions, if you don't listen to Christian music, if you don't have Christian friends then your perspective is going to get really tainted very quickly and you're going to miss out. So um, there are times in my life, probably college would be one where there's a little more garbage in (laughs) than there should have been. So uh, the third one is real simple, but I think for me uh, it's a perspective on relationship. I think uh, when I was young, before Reverend Clark, et cetera, I saw a lot of activity that was focused on the church. But it wasn't until I started to realize the importance of the relationship with Jesus that I really got it. Um, and again, uh, maybe I'm showing my, my age, but I just find it amazing today with some of the technology. You know, people say, well, I got. 655 friends. I'm like, <laughs> really? <laughs> because that's that's not the definition of a friend from my perspective. Yeah. You know, somebody who would drop anything and everything to help you out. Yeah. Uh, that's a really small amount. Think about the people in high school or college you went to. Oh, we'll always be friends. We'll always connect, <laughs> yeah. stay connected. It doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, but then there's that really super special relationship with Jesus. And if I don't put any time into that relationship, mm. um, my perspective gets really tainted, mm. really tainted. Mm. Take it for granted. I mean, think about the relationships in life that you take for granted. Um, usually doesn't turn out very well. Yeah. So, um, Two more. One is when we were at Asbury United Methodist Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania for a number of years, we did this study, and it really, really hit me one day that there is a constant battle going on for our soul. Mm. Uh, but in the United Methodist Church, we don't talk about that as much as other churches do. But uh, I was coaching football at the time, and uh, the way the pastor that day explained it, he said, well, think about two teams playing football. And uh, you're on one team, and the devil's on the other team, and you think you're going to go out and beat him? <laughs> Ain't going to happen. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. The uh, the field is tilted. <laughs> but if you get an even playing field and you put Christ there, uh, 
you're going to win every time. Mm. But the fact that there's a battle for me, yeah. one, I'm pretty important. But two, it's ongoing. It doesn't. It never stops. Yeah, it never stops. And then uh, the last one, I'll ask Mister Mister Tim this, but um, how many keys are there? Or excuse me, how many strings are there on a uh, guitar? A, on a piano? No, eighty-eight. <laughs> eighty-eight strings or keys? Well, eighty-eight keys. Eighty-eight so, keys. So it, three strings per per key. About yeah. Yeah. So. I'm not a mathematician, so I there's, can't do it. There's between times 200, <laughs> 220 and 240 strings huh. in a piano. Okay. And in my faith journey, what I found is that there were many times where I was giving God all but maybe one or two of those strings. To, okay, God, I trust you. You can take care of this. And then the devil just played that note over and over <laughs> yeah, and over again in my good. head, in that's my awesome. heart, and it was yeah. like, ay, ay, ay. So. Yeah. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta cut all the strings. Yeah. You gotta cut all the strings. Well, that's good. That's a lot of what our prayer team has been training about and reading about and yeah. learning about. It's awesome. By the way, uh, if anybody is listening and they do feel like they are having demonic oppression, Leslie would love to. I would love to set up a prayer appointment with them. Well, we do have, we do have yeah. training now to yeah, do that, right? Absolutely. We've been digging in and getting... Yeah. We've been yeah. learning a lot, so praise God. You gotta get out there and do it. Yeah, yeah. So anything else, Tim? Not 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 really. I mean Thanks for letting I, me share. I know I know Brian, you, you have a love of music oh, and horns especially when we yeah. talk about horns. We're always talking about horns. Stuff that we've heard recently, you know, that comes out that we, you know, that's got horns on it. So Absolutely. You know. I'm I'm a big fan of the, you know, the Chicago's, the the blood, sweat and tears and just <laughs> you know, bands that just I don't know. There's something about a horn section that that's like an integral part huh. of the band, as opposed to just sort of like they maybe put it in at the last minute, you know. <laughs> so one of my favorite weekends in college is we drove over to Saratoga, and uh, they had a blowout weekend. So Friday night was the Beach Boys. Saturday was ELO with the spaceship, oh. and then Sunday was Chicago. So oh wow. It was like, Great weekend. Great oh, weekend. man. Yeah. That's cool. I'm streaming. So, um, again, <laughs> if anybody wants to grab this book or any yeah. of Brian's other books, uh, can we put a link in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. put a link in there. Do we have show notes? Yeah. We do? Yeah, we do. Oh, cool. Well, that's common. They're very short, but yeah. 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 And then how do people stay in tune? I know more people are listening to our podcasts. And- well, so we've recently linked all the podcasts, because I didn't know we could do this, to the so the the public Facebook crossroads page has a, like a podcast thing where you like link your podcast in. Oh, cool. Cause I've noticed as I go through Facebook, all of a sudden I hear like your sermon start playing yeah. or like, I've noticed that or the hot seats start playing yeah. and I'm going, who did that? That's a great <laughs> idea. And then yeah. I realized that it just, it pulls from the feed and it sticks it in there. So on the, the public Facebook page, you can listen to it on YouTube. You can watch the video and then anywhere that you listen to the audio podcast, whether that's iTunes or any other podcast player, um, I mean, you just basically put uh, Crossroads UMC or yep. Crossroads Washington in, and it, it should come up with all the all the sermons, all these hot seats, and any other sort of audio content that yeah. comes out. I like yeah. Spotify. Yeah, I do too. Yep. So you use yeah Spotify. So can I add one last sure comment? So sometimes it's easy to take things for granted. Um, it's thirty five miles from round trip from my house yeah and right a mile i go past multiple churches but a mile from my house is the biggest christian church in the area yeah i come here because it's family Mm -hmm. um but i think the the other part that i would share is having been married to a pastor i would just encourage everybody to make sure that we don't put the pastors too high up on a pedestal (laughs) Because they're human beings, mm. they hurt. Yeah, they have feelings. Mm. They don't have all the answers, uh, and I think sometimes we forget that because we're kind of focused on ourselves. Yeah. But uh, you and Megan uh, do a fantastic job. You and Sarah did a fantastic job together. Um, 
Yeah, but you're not perfect, and you <laughs> and you hurt once in a while. And sometimes you just need a good hug. Yeah, and you also just need somebody to say it's okay. Yeah, you made a mistake. No problem. Yeah. Let's yeah. move on. Totally. Um, so that's my last comment. That's good. Yeah. That's good. And as a pastor's spouse, you got to see the inside of what what it what it's like, right? Yeah. I can't pastor. get a Hallmark card, but that's my comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. You, Leslie, should make, you should make your own Hallmark card. Yeah. That's good. You Pastor should start doing cards. That, that could be a good podcast yeah. is Brian and Janice having a conversation. Yeah. Oh, that would be good. That would yeah, be good. that would be really that's a, good. That's a, that's a perspective not very many people are, I want to be know. here for that one, too. Yeah, but, but uh, Janice would have a lot more to share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Leslie, why don't you close us in prayer? Okay. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for today and for conversation and um, getting to know Brian more and his journey and his love and passion for you and his family and for his wife. And um, we're just so grateful that um, Brian keeps coming here and just shining his light to all the people at Crossroads. And we're just so thankful for him and his family. And we just love you and we thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great weekend.